The Tennis Gambling Podcast and the Sports Gam Podcast are now represented by WinBet. WinBet is now live in Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, and Virginia. From boosted same-game parlays to live in-game odds, WinBet has what you need to win. Sign up today and bet $100 to get a free extra $100 at sportsgampodcast.com slash winbet, sportsgampodcast.com slash W-Y-N-N-B-E-T. State restrictions apply. And welcome, everybody, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast here in the Sports Gambling Podcast Network. It is currently early, very, very early Tuesday morning, and it is February 21st. And I'm your host, as always, Scott Reichel, once again, going solo for this pod. Should be a fun one. Jam-packed episode. Once again, we got three ATP tournaments to go through and preview and give some outright picks on. We have Doha, we have Marseille, and we have Rio de Janeiro. So a lot of really, really interesting and what should be competitive tournaments so i'm excited to go through those i know action technically did start on monday but i didn't exactly have the time to do the podcast so we're going to do it now instead uh, going through the actual schedule for these tournaments and the breakdowns we will be doing doha and marseille first we'll go doha first i guess because of just alphabetical order but both those tournaments have the same exact start time at 6.30 a.m. Eastern time for the Tuesday matches. And then you have Rio de Janeiro starting at around 2.30 in the afternoon Eastern time. So we'll do that one last. So I do want to have one disclaimer, though, that I do want to mention for the sake of this show. Unfortunately for Rio, we don't have outright odds. I'm not sure why. The last match was the Jari versus Musetti match, which ended several hours ago. And yet there's no odds up. I don't really know why, but the point is we don't exactly have definitive odds. We can still obviously speculate on who's the favorite. It's going to be Alcaraz, duh. And we can try to just mention some sleepers anyway, but I don't have official numbers. And I will give you the updated numbers once they are posted on the next podcast. I'll just say what I saw them at before the actual matches start in Rio tomorrow after uh, on uh, Tuesday afternoon. But still, just want to let it be known that I don't have any official odds in front of me for that tournament, but I do for Marseille and for Doha. So we got that out of the way. Now it's time to get into the other uh, thing we got to do before we go through the actual previews and outrights and go through the draw breakdown. We got to recap how we did on the last show and how the Sunday ATP finals went. First of all, we ended up splitting. Now, we did make profit because we did win the dog. However, we had a brutal beat on the lock, and it should have been a sweep, an easy sweep, but unfortunately, it wasn't. I was going to give out Alcaraz minus one and a half sets against Nori, and then the line moved from 155 to 170. And I decided that I think I was going to set the cutoff point at 160 because I gave out Sinner in straight sets earlier in the week at 160. So I think that's going to be the new maximum odds that we're going to take as a lock at 160 because I don't want to just hand out a minus 200 money line favorite and call that a lock. So 160 will be the cutoff. Point is Alcaraz's line moved past that number. So we pivoted from the actual set spread to the under and we took under 20 and a half and Alcaraz was up 6-3-5-2 was one break. Not only did Alcaraz not get broken the entire match up to that point, but he also did not face a single break point until he was serving it out for the tournament. And then obviously at 6-3, 5-3, he got broken. 
Then he ended up not breaking Nori, so it was 5-5. Five, five. Then he held again at 5. He held at 5-5 five, five to make it 6-5, and then he broke to win the match 7-5, to win the set, the second set 7-5. So it landed 21. So we needed Alcaraz, a guy who did not face a single break point for the first hour and a half, to not get broken in the final service game that he had uh, for the match, per se. And then he got broken, and then he did not break Nori back, and then he broke back the service game after for Nori, and it went over by a hook. So pretty brutal beat there for the lock, as I still love the read on it, but unfortunately the spread ended up winning for the sets, but not the total for the under is what it is, but we did win the dog, the plus 155 play in the Fritz and Kekmanovic over two and a half sets. And that did not look good early because Fritz was up pretty comfortably. In fact, he won the first set 6-0. Kekmanovic did have to fight off some break points. I believe Fritz did have a match point or two in the second set, but Kekmanovic ended up surviving, won the second set 7-5, and then got killed in the third set 6-2. We don't care about that because he ended up winning the second set, so ended up splitting, but we did technically make about half a unit, so nice episode. But I'm really salty about that missed sweep opportunity because Alcaraz choked the serve away while serving for the tournament, but is what it is, and we'll look for a sweep here on Tuesday since we are, of course, going to do the lock and dog plays after our tournament's uh, breakdown and the outright odds. But just to quickly go through my takeaways for the matches Nori never stood a chance, uh, just being straightforward here. Alcaraz just has too many attributes. Nori does not have enough firepower to really just match up with Alcaraz. And I know that he ended up beating Alcaraz on hard court last year, and I believe Cincinnati. The unforced error count for Alcaraz in that match was huge, but the point is if Alcaraz is on even, I'd say, 75%, Nori doesn't have any weapons. So you're trying to think of how he can beat Alcaraz when Alcaraz is not spraying the ball over the quarter into the net. And Nori had a couple of really, really nice drop shots. And occasionally he had some big forehands. But for the most part, Alcaraz was really dictating almost every point. And Nori was just trying to stay alive and hope that Alcaraz would miss a shot. Some serve and volley sprinkled in there. Nori was hit or miss. Alcaraz had some success with the serve and volley. But the point is, with his speed and you mix it in with the clay, it just took a lot of extra shots for Nori to actually get anything past Alcaraz. And the really just effortless power that Alcaraz has was really on display in that match. And it really gave Nori a hard time because he was constantly playing defense at every point. And if you're going to control the rallies and you're as talented as Alcaraz, uh, the other person's going to have a hard time. And that's what happened. Because Nori was really staring down a 6-3, 6-3 straight set loss. And it looked a little bit more respectable at 7-5 in the second set. But once again, he did not cause a break point for a set in two-thirds because Alcaraz was just that good. And then he finally broke through and nerves got in, got into the equation. And then Alcaraz righted the ship and then Nori got broken again to lose the match. So my main takeaway, Alcaraz looks phenomenal. I think he's a, a serious candidate to win the French. I know it's not exactly rocket science to say that the guy with the second lowest odds uh, has a good chance to win the French. But I'll put it this way, based on Nadal's current injury status, I think Alcaraz has a better chance to win the French Open than Nadal does right now. And I think 
assuming they're on the opposite sides of the bracket because Djokovic and Alcaraz should be one and two entering the French Open. That's probably my pick for a final mat for a final matchup. Uh, you can argue about an upset there for Alcaraz, but still, point is he looked incredible. And Nori, I've said it time and time again, he's a good player, not a great player. He just doesn't have enough overall firepower. Now, as for the other matches, the Rotterdam one was very good. Sinner won the first set 7-5. Pretty tough beat there, too, if he ended up taking the over two and a half breaks for Sinner, which I mentioned at like plus 135. He had two breaks in the first set, and then he was up, I think it was a low 40 in a service game, but he also had a couple of break points after that. I think he basically had five break points and he didn't convert any of them. So Sinner had no breaks in the final two sets combined. So you lost that plus 135 play. But Medvedev lost the first set and then took over. There really nothing else to say. Medvedev just kept the ball in play. He turned into a wall and Sinner was a little bit too sporadic with the shots and the unforced error count really. Uh, racked up for him, and Medvedev seemed to win pretty much all of the longer rallies as the match went on, and unlike Sinner, Medvedev was able to capitalize on the breakpoint chances, and he opened up a double break lead early on in both of the second and third sets. So shout out to Medvedev, who after a really bad 2022 season, seems, knock on wood, to have gone back on track. We'll see, but the point is Medvedev did look really good, and he did win another ATP title, so congrats to him. Not really much else to take away there. Medvedev's given Sinner problems for years, and I thought Sinner was alive to win the match. He did win the first set, but then if you wanted to live hedge it, he could have and made a little bit of profit. But Sinner is still very good, still young, though, so he still has some things to work out on his game. And Medvedev, we know that when he's on, he's a brick wall, but the problem is he can occasionally get in his own head, and he's a little emotional at times, but... He won 73% of his first serve points, and Sinner only won 59%. That was really the story of the match. But to look at the final match, though, to go through in Delray, the Fritz match was very, very weird because it's 6-0, and you assume, all right, American in America, Kekmanovic is no-showing the match. You assume that Fritz has it totally under control, and then he just couldn't break through. Uh, he had two break points at 4-3, which would allow him to serve for the match at 5-3. Uh, didn't break. Then he had a match point at 5-4 uh, with a break point opportunity. Did not convert there and then ended up uh, getting broken on top of that the game after. And then Kekmanovich served it out to win the set. And then Fritz just woke up again and he ended up dominating. So my main takeaway, Fritz Another solid player. It's not the same situation as Nori because Fritz does have firepower, but he just lacks the consistency. So I don't think that either player is good enough to make serious Grand Slam runs. Fritz losing that five-setter to a seriously compromised Nadal is a perfect example of that. But I think the lateral movement for Fritz is going to be a problem for a while. You see it as an issue for taller guys and Fritz is... You know, pretty tall. He's 6'5". So he's basically Chilich height. But the point is, Fritz's lateral movement at times can be pretty rough. And I think that if you can make him run around the court, Fritz is going to have some problems with some stamina or even just with his overall court coverage. And that's kind of why I like Fritz, but I don't love him as a player. And I think even though he's a fringe top five guy, 
I'm not exactly picking him being a serious threat to win any Grand Slam event anytime soon. As for Kekmanovic, not really much more to add. I think Fritz is a better player, but shout out to him, though, for battling when it looked extremely bleak early on and forcing a third set in the first place to help us cash our bet. So nothing really else to go through. Uh, There were three favorites, and they all won in the Sunday action. But now it's time to move on to the... Uh, upcoming week's action, and we're going to start off in Doha, and to go through the Qatar Open, we got to start off with the winner last year, and it was Batista Agut against Basilashvili, and it was kind of a weird moment because it was an exact replica of the 2021 final, because you had the same two finalists. You had Batista Agut taking on Basilashvili. As crazy as that sounds, Basilashvili was in a final, back-to-back years, in the same tournament. And then his career basically ended. Or, you know, that's a whole separate story. But the point is, Batista Gut has done well here in the past. He's won this event twice. He's made the final three times in the last four years, as he did win this in 2019. But to look at the actual odds for this event, Medvedev is favored at around plus 165 to win the tournament. Rublev is plus 550. Felix is 6-1. to one. Zverev's 8-1. to one. Uh, Batista Gut to defend his title, is 11-1. to one. Murray is 12 to 1, fresh off of his thrilling uh, victory against Sunigo in the first round. Leshika is 14 to 1. Davidovich Fakina is 18 to 1. Evans is 25 to 1. Uh, Rusevori, 28 to 1. Zanshulp, 28 to 1. Greek Spore, 33 to 1. Quan, 33 to 1, etc. I probably could have stopped a couple names sooner, but that's what we're looking at. And to go through the actual draw here in Doha, I'll start off with the favorite here with Medvedev. And Medvedev has a pretty favorable draw. Face off against Brody in the second round since he had a bye. Most likely going to face off against, I'd probably guess a Goot. Uh, Goot, I'd say, is of course not the same guy that he used to be. It's why we faded him in the U.S. Open uh, once he ended up facing off against Tommy Paul. But Batista Gut's still good, and he has been historically great at Doha. So you're assuming he'll probably face off against him, but Fuksovic definitely isn't a pushover. This should be a pretty good first-round match, and the winner of that takes on O'Connell in the second round. But Medvedev, you have to wonder about fatigue. I mention it all the time. If you make the final the weekend prior, then usually you have a problem early on. We even saw it with Sinner, who made the final, in that tournament last week, but he did end up going to three sets against Bonzi in the first round in Rotterdam after winning a tournament the week prior in uh, France. But the point is, I do think at the end of the day, Medvedev's the best player in that quarter, and I think he should be able to make it through. Then you have the interesting dynamic at the bottom because you have Felix, who's in his quarter once again, and... Yeah, that's bad news for Felix. Uh, Not in his quarter, actually. I mean, in his same half of the bracket. That's bad news for Felix because Medvedev owns him, and Felix has never stood a chance against Medvedev. Medvedev just absolutely dominates against Felix, and we saw that in Rotterdam as Medvedev really, really took him behind the woodshed. And if you're looking at how that ended up playing itself out, he ended up winning that match 6-2, 6-4. But that's nothing new. Because if you go through the head-to-head matches between these two guys, Medvedev is 5-0. and And most of those matches, not particularly close. Now, the Australian Open match in 2022 was very good, as Medvedev ended up coming back from two sets to one down. And I believe Felix had a match point or two. 
But Medvedev has just matched up very well against Felix. So I don't think I can take Felix in this event. I made a case for him last week, but I don't think I can do it at this price at six to one when he's against his boogeyman in the semifinals. So, or he's projected to. So I'm not going to do that. But I think if you want to talk about where the value might lie, do I think there's value on Rublev? Because Rublev is on the other side of the bracket. So I guess you can argue that there's automatically value. But if you're looking at his overall draw, it's not easy because he faces off against either Greek Sport or Hallis in the second round. We saw Greek Sport in Rotterdam, and I know it was his home country. He looked pretty good. You know, he brought Sinner to a tie break there. I believe it was 7-6, 7-5. That was competitive. And we've seen Rublev be a bit inconsistent as he got, uh, I don't want to say smacked, but he lost pretty decisively to Diminur. Uh, so I'm not sold on Rublev's form. We know he can be quite streaky at times. So I'm not really sold on Rublev either, especially with Greek Spore being the, um, in my opinion, the round of 16 matchup. I think he'll end up beating Hallis. But it's not the easiest section. Then you have to face off against either Leshika, Rusevori, or Evans. It's not bad but it could be a lot easier. Let's put it that way. So if I had to pick anybody, I probably would lean Medvedev just because I know Medvedev's stamina is really good. We've seen it before, and I think he's definitely the best player in this field, and I don't think it's very close. I know Rublev did beat uh, Medvedev in the ATP Finals uh, last year, or technically a couple months ago, but still 2022. I just think that Medvedev is still very good at head-to-head against Rublev in their careers, and I'm not going to overreact to one match when Medvedev was playing some of the worst 10 of his his career, and it still went to a third set tiebreak, which he lost. So I think you'll end up seeing Medvedev probably make a final here. So I think that he's definitely my choice to win the event. Do I think there's a lot of value on it? Eh, I I don't think it's great. But I think plus 165, I don't see any other favorites that I'm tempted by. And there's no way I'm taking Zverev at 8-1. to one. That's just not even an option. Batista Good is your historical option if you want to take him. But do I like his path? I mentioned it before. It's not great. Fuksovic's in round one. Then he'd face off against Medvedev into the quarterfinals. I think I'm out on that one. I just don't think that he's good enough at this stage in his career to beat Medvedev. So looking at where I would target for a potential long shot. I think it would be in that Rublev region, uh, just thinking that if he goes down early, you can make a case for a couple of guys to maybe make a push for a semi, and you'd have to face off against either Zverev or Murray or maybe Zanshulp in the semi. So it's not really not a bad path if you can get past Rublev. So you can make a case maybe for Evans if you think he gets past Rusevori. That's a bit of a tricky little section there with Le- with Leshika as well. Uh, Dezumer doesn't have a chance, in my opinion. I just think Leshika is going to beat him comfortably. I'm pro- I probably would pick Leshika if I had to pick anybody from that section because I was impressed by what I saw from him in the Australian Open, and he also ended up beating Felix in that event before losing to Tsitsipas. I think Leshiko would be my, I'd say, medium long shot there at around 14 to 1, just because I do like his overall game. And he's still a young player. We saw him in the next-gen finals, and he made a deep run in that event as well. So he has been trending upwards recently, and I do think that he's got a pretty underrated serve. He's not afraid to come to the net and shorten points, and I think that at 14 to 1, that is a pretty good price. 
And I think he's a pretty good player. Uh, you know, you kind of weren't really aware of who exactly he was uh, maybe a year or two ago. And then you keep paying attention to his results and they kind of jump out a little bit. I think that he's a good young player. And I think that if you want to talk about a good opportunity for him to make a bit of a push, I don't think this is a bad uh, spot for him. So for me, I'm going to go with Leshika as my medium long shot there at around 14 to 1. He's minus 480 on the money line against the Zoomer. So he basically has a buy in the first round. And I'm hoping, for his sake at least, that you'll end up seeing his second round opponents or potential opponents kill each other with a matchup between uh, Rusevori and Evans that could be a three-setter, that could be a bit of a war. So give me my two outright picks. will be Medvedev at plus 165, and I'll take Leshika at 14-1. to 1. Just quickly check in, though, if I could see any better odds on Leshika uh, or, Zver- or uh, Medvedev, actually, for that matter. So Medvedev, no, but I do see Leshika at 15-1. to 1. I'll take the 15 to 1. Uh, so those are going to be my two outright picks. Now, moving on to the second tournament, going to move on to Marseille. And for this event, you do have, well, I'd say a pretty interesting field. Let's put it that way. But to go through the actual odds for the outright, starting off with the favorite here, you have Sinner at plus 175. You have Herkaz at 5 to 1. Dimitrov at 650. Uh, Diminor at seven to one, Cressy at eleven to one, uh, Bublik at fourteen to one, Barranca at fourteen to one, Golfin at twenty to one, Bonzi at twenty to one, and at that point, even before that, honestly, once I said Warranka at fourteen to one, you should have realized that nobody else has really a shot to win this event because I'm not picking Warranka either. But either way, it's kind of a similar field in a way to what we just talked about because you do have one. Pretty somewhat decisive favorite, and then you have a couple of guys, or in this case, one guy, who I think could or should be around 5-1, to one, and everyone else I just think is nowhere near the level of Sinner right now. Uh, so I think this field in general is worse than the Doha field by a decent margin, because at least in the Doha field, you still have Rublev, you still have Felix, you have a couple top 10 guys. Zverev is a top 20 guy. Batista, Gut, and Murray, you know, they're tricky uh, veterans, so that field's decent. This one, Dimitrov at, at 650 is ridiculous. I don't care how good of a showing he had for the first couple rounds in Rotterdam. Medvedev kicked his ass, and Dimitrov once again has now won an ATP tournament in about four or five years. So 650 is laughable. Uh, I don't think there's any chance in hell he wins this event. So Dimitrov is an absolute no bet for me. And I think he's a sucker play, to be honest with you. Uh, now to look at anybody else, I think Diminor is interesting at seven to one, uh, just because of how good he looked in Rotterdam. And I know he ended up losing a very competitive match to Dimitrov, but I just think that Diminor is just more... I don't want to say consistent, but I just think with him being younger than Dimitrov, his stamina translates better to long tournaments. And I just feel like when you're looking at Diminor's overall draw, I think it's doable if you're just looking at who he's against. He's facing off against either Richard or Andujar after having a buy in round one. So it's basically a buy into the uh, quarters. And then he's facing off against most likely Cressy and Diminor just beat Cressy, 
I think it's a very good draw for Diminor. And then you face off against probably Sinner. Uh, Sinner's got a pretty easy path there. Uh, got a buy, then probably fills the young French player, made a pretty good run a couple weeks ago. But then probably either Waranka or Gasquet. So Sinner should cruise here. However, I mentioned fatigue issues when you have a deep tournament run and then you play immediately the following week. The problem with Sinner is that he's had back-to-back final appearances as he ended up winning a championship a couple of weeks ago. Then he immediately parlayed it with another deep run in Rotterdam to a final, which he lost, and now he's playing here. I really do wonder about fatigue, and I think Sinner might come out flat here. I'm not saying that Phils is going to beat him, but I think that match, maybe you might see Sinner on the ropes a little bit. I'm just saying, keep an eye on it, because when you play that much tennis, your body's going to need a break, and I know Sinner's young, but I do really, really want to stay away from Sinner at plus 175. I understand he's a great player. I love Sinner as a player. He's one of my favorite young players. But I do think, based on the fact that he's made back-to-back finals and now he's playing again, it's a bit of a red flag for me. So I'm going to stay away from Sinner there. Uh, Diminor at 7-1, to one, I think, is pretty tempting just because I really liked how he played at Rotterdam. And yes, I know he lost to Dimitrov, very competitive match, though, and I just think that he could be in line to make a somewhat deep run. I see 8-1 to one on Diminor. I'm just quickly shopping around to see if I could find anything better than that. I'm assuming 8-1 to one is going to be where it uh, you know, reaches its peak value, but you know, never hurts to actually try. So, yeah, that's all I see. So, you're looking at Diminor at 8-1. to one. I think that's a pretty good draw, and if you are a bit concerned about Sinner Stamina, then I do think there's some value there. Uh, so looking at the other options here, I talked about a Herkaz was the second favorite. Herkaz, pretty inconsistent. The draw is also pretty favorable. Face off against probably Rinderkinich in the second round. And Rinderkinich is really not at a good go of it lately. He finished the 2022 year in decent form. And so far in 2023, really not good at all. Uh, so I'm not exactly sold on him but I think Herkes should get through anyway. Then probably uh, either Yemmer or Albert or Golfen or point is it's not really a great field so or a great section. So I think Herkes should probably cruise into the semis. Albert had a good run there in Delray, but nah, I wonder about fatigue too. And I think Yemmer is going to beat him, but we'll see. But the point is I do think that Herkes just has the serve and everyone else that I mentioned, Yemmer and Albert and Golfen, they're all pretty small in terms of size. And I think that Herkaz's serve would dominate in a match against any of those guys. So Herkaz should make it through there. Then probably facing off against, I don't even know, like D- Dimitrov maybe, or you want to make a case for Barreri or Bublik. Or... The point is, I do think that Herkaz is a pretty good run here to the semis. And I think he might have a decent actual path to the final. So I guess based on path, I would lean Herkaz at five to one. Like I talked myself into it. There are some situations where you're not exactly interested in the player, but then you look at the draw and you realize he should be pretty much a hefty favorite in almost all of these matches. The problem is Dimitrov just beat Herkaz in Rotterdam. Rotterdam, though, does play pretty slow for a hard court. So you're hoping that Herkaz's serve can have more of an impact in this event. Uh, but it did go two tie breaks, so it was competitive. Dimitrov just got the better of him in those two. But f- I see 550 on him there. I don't think I mind it. I think you actually have a decent chance of getting 
a Herkes and a Diminor final. And if that's the case, you automatically win if you take both futures. So I think I will do that. I think I'll take Herkaz at 550 and I'll take Diminor at eight to one. And for a long shot, are there any are there is there anybody that I actually give a damn about? Not really. I would admit, I mean, first of all, congratulations to Bublik, who finally won a match in 2023. Congratulations. But his draw is pretty his draw is extremely difficult, to be honest. Uh looking at Anybody else I'm tempted by? Maybe Cressy, if you think that the Servant Volley can work, but I'm not interested. I really don't see any long shots here. I don't think the field is that good. Maybe you can make a case for Phils if you want to go all in on a youngster who's a wild card. It could maybe make a run or a Bereri, but Bereri would have to face off against a pretty... I, I'm just going to call it a gauntlet, to be honest with you. If you're looking at Bereri's actual schedule... It's really rough. He plays Hussor in round one. Hussor is not easy. And then he faces off against Bublik in round two. And then Dimitrov in round three. And then Herkaz in round four. So it's really not... I know it's not exactly round four. Yeah, my point, though, just going through the actual uh, stages or the pathway that he would have. It's a little bit too difficult for me. At least with Cressy, you're against a wild card. Then you're against Bonzi and... You'd think that Cressy could maybe beat Diminor if the court plays faster because his servant volley can neutralize Diminor's rally game. So maybe Cressy would be like a double-digit shot you could take there at like 12 to 1. But in reality, I I don't really see it. Sinner, if he wins the tournament, I wouldn't be shocked. He's the best player. But the stamina concern is really an issue for me. And as a result, I can't take him at those odds. So I think my two picks for this event are going to be Herkaz at 550, and I will take Diminor at 8-1. to one. Now, moving on to the final tournament for this episode, going to talk about the tournament with no future odds that I had talked about before. We're going to go to Rio de Janeiro, where Alcaraz is the hefty favorite. I believe he's even a minus price, and with Musetti losing a Jari, I'm sure that it might have moved down a little bit more. And Team lost, too. And I'm not saying Team was a threat for anything at this stage in his career, Really sad about what happened to him in his career. But with him being out, you know, he still draws some attention from the betting markets. So with him being out, I think Alcaraz would probably move maybe 10 cents more expensive. So I think Alcaraz will be favored, probably minus 120, minus 125, if I'm speculating. But looking at the actual odds uh, for the other players here, you're assuming Cam Nori would have the second lowest odds since he just made the final in Buenos Aires. So he has a little good on clay and he's still a top 12 player in the world. So you're assuming that Alcaraz and Nori are the two favorites. Besides that, are there any long shots I want to make a case for? Not really. You always got to keep an eye on Ramos Vinolas, but facing off against Echeverri in the first round is a difficult matchup, which could go three. So I'm not exactly sold on taking Ramos Vinolas for a long shot spin. Once again, I'm speculating long shot because I don't exactly know what the odds are going to be. But... I'm not going to pick him because, first of all, I don't like his overall matchup in round one. Second of all, he's really just an annoying player to back a future with because you know he's going to punt some sets. You know the serve is going to be iffy, and you know that the forehand occasionally goes awry, and he might get broken several times because of it. So I'm going to take a little break from Ramos Vanola. So it was fun sometimes, but mostly just pain and suffering. So I'm going to pass on Ramos Vanola's. Do I want to make a case for Sarundalo? Probably not, because he's in a really, really tough section. Facing off against Baina 
in round one, which isn't easy, and then facing off against either Zapata Marias or Munar in the second round. I'm assuming it would be Zapata Marias, who's just in better form than Munar. And I think with the way Marias has played, I think he actually can beat Sarandolo. I'm not going to hold it against Zapata Marias. They got his ass kicked by Alcaraz 6-2-6-2. Because if you watch the match, you know Alcaraz is going crazy. And Zapata Marias actually looked really good in that event uh, before that match. So Zapata Marias, I like as a player too, but I'm not going to pick anybody from that section of four. That's really, really tough. So I think if I was going to go for anybody not named Alcaraz, I'm not picking Nori. I don't really care. I don't think Nori's good enough uh, to win on clay in this event. I think I'll make a somewhat deep run, but... I, I don't think he's going to beat Alcaraz. And I think that you can make a serious case. He wouldn't even beat Baez and company. So Nori can make a deep run and potentially lose again in deja vu uh, to or deja vu fashion to Alcaraz again. But I think if I was going to pick anybody to maybe make a run, it would probably be Baez question mark, just because of how good he is on clay and the upside there. And the fact that Baez did lose in the first round in Buenos Aires to Lahovic, which I actually like because he just won a tournament the week prior. So now he's been off for some time, and I think that it gave him a good chance to rest his legs a little bit. And with Baez being extremely short, he's got to run around the court a lot. So I do think having basically a week off actually gives Baez a pretty distinct advantage compared to Alcaraz and Nori. But you're looking at his draw. He has Bellucci, who used to be a good clay player. He's in the event because he's Brazilian as a wild card, but... He's well past his prime. I think Baez wins comfortably. I think he's like minus seven games in that match in a two out of three match. So he's expected to just dominate. And I can't really blame him. Probably Varias in round two. Varias had a pretty deep run there in Buenos Aires. He lost to Nori in the semis. But I do think Baez is the better player. Then he face off against either Pedro Martinez or Jari. I think that Baez is better than both those guys. And then he'd face off against Alcaraz, most likely. So I'm not saying he's going to beat Alcaraz, but if you can prolong it and hope or prolong the wait time for the match and you hope that Alcaraz either maybe just steps down out of fatigue or you hope he loses in some shocking upset to Lahovic or something, then, you know, I got to at least try to take a spin on somebody. And I think Baez will be the guy, but I think Alcaraz is going to win. So Alcaraz is my pick. You can argue about stamina. But after what I saw in the U.S. Open last year, I don't know if Alcaraz actually gets tired because he just went to endless four or five set matches and it just seemed like he was going to be cooked after that center match, which is still one of the best matches I've ever seen. And then he just won the tournament anyway. He had five sets against Tiafo. We had a four-setter against Rude in the final. And yet he just kept pushing. So, nah, I, I think I'm just going to go with Alcaraz as the favorite, as he should be, because he's the second best player in the world. You can argue that he's the best clay court player in the world at this point, but I would probably just stick with the second best player in the world in any surface or on any surface. I'll take him and my spin will be Baez, who should be at a plus price. But that's basically it. A lot of these, all three tournaments are kind of similar. They have one pretty decent favorite, a couple of guys who are somewhere around the five to one range or so, and then just the the bottom falls out and you kind of just have a couple of people who you think could make a run, but not really. And that's kind of where you're at. This tournament definitely has the most lopsided favorite because Alcaraz is a minus price to win the event. 
but it is a pretty weak field, especially for clay. So I think that once again, to wrap up the actual outrights for all of these tournaments, um, my pick is going to be the favorite in Doha. I'm going to go with Medvedev at plus 165, and I will go with Leshika at 15 to one as my long shot. Then for Marseille, I'm going to go with Herkaz at 550, and I'm going to go with Diminor at 8-1. to one. And my picks for Rio de Janeiro, I will take Alcaraz as the favorite. I kind of have to. He's just so much better than everyone else here in terms of talent. And I will also go with Baez as my long shot sleeper, probably somewhere in between like 10 to 20 to 1. So somewhere around there, I'm assuming that's where his odds will be. That will be my quote-unquote, long-shot spin. But time to get into the actual match predictions with the lock and dog segment. But before we get into that, can I have a quick word from our sponsor? And we're brought to you by WinBet. WinBet is the official online sportsbook of the Sports Game Podcast Network. WinBet is active in a bunch of states, and there are a ton of ways to win, including live betting and same-game parlays, a.k.a. WinBet's build-your-own-bet. Great promos, odds, and payouts are happening right now at WinBet. Ready to play? Sign up today to receive a special offer. Bet $100 and get an extra $100. Limited state availability. And of course, if you hit the biggest long shot parlay of the week, you get an extra $1,000 in free credit. So much, there's so much to choose from. And all you have to do is head over to sportscampodcast.com slash winbet, sportscampodcast.com slash W-I-N-N-B-E-T. Offer subject to change, offer subject to change terms and conditions at winbet.com must be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough women is available if you or somebody knows a gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700 welcome back everyone to the tennis gambling podcast just finished going through the future preview and the outrights for doha marseille and rio de janeiro now it's time to get into the actual lock and dog picks and for the lock and dog we're actually gonna go to the same tournament in both gonna go to the rio de janeiro tournament we're gonna start off with the matchup between lahovich and schwartzman which should be taking place around yeah about two was that like two yeah it's about actually no it's about like five about 5 p.m eastern time and for this matchup, we're going to take Lahovich on the money line at around minus 150, minus 155. If you want to go for minus two and a half games, I'll like minus 110. I don't mind that either. But wait, actually, you know what? No, we're going to switch that. Uh, for our lock, I'm going to keep the Lahovich play, but I'm going to use that for the dog, actually. So for the lock, I'm going to go to the same tournament, looking at a matchup around 2.50 p.m. Eastern time between Fognini and Barrios Vera. And for this matchup, we're going to take Barrios Vera on the money line at minus 125. And there's a couple reasons why we're going to fade Fognini. First reason, simply put, Fognini's basically washed. And at this stage in his career, he might want to focus primarily on doubles. I mentioned that because congratulations to Fognini. He did win the doubles title in Buenos Aires with Bellelli. Quietly a pretty good doubles team between the two of them. So a little Italian power there in Buenos Aires to win a doubles title. But the point is, Fagnini in singles doesn't have it anymore. Uh, you're looking at his recent results. He's lost each of his last four. Over the last year, he is 8-11 and 11 straight up on clay. And we know how good Fagnini used to be on clay 
even beat Nadal a couple of times on clay. So that tells you how good he used to be. Not anymore. He can't really move around the court that well. His serve was never that good. And mentally, we know that he was not afraid of doing dumb stuff on the court all the time. And I do think that a young player like Barrios Vera, who's been playing good tennis lately, I think is going to give him problems. If you look at the last couple of weeks, he's 4-1 and one straight up in matches. He also had to go through qualifying in Rio de Janeiro while Fagnini was stuck in Argentina playing doubles. So you, the point that I'm trying to make with that, the fact that Barros Vera should be more accustomed to the actual courts in Rio de Janeiro because he's played a couple of singles matches leading up to this event. And you're looking at how he fared in those. He obviously won because he's here, but he has not dropped a set. He ended up beating Kovalik 6-4, 6-4 and beat Tabi, uh, Tabillo 6-4, 6-4. And Tabillo did end up making a deep run uh, last year in Cordoba. So he's a pretty decent play player as well. But you have a guy who in the last year, I talked about Fagnini's uh, clay record. Barros Vera over the last year is 27 and 16 straight up on clay. He's been busy on the clay recently, including challengers. So he should be really dialed in for this match. And I just think Fagnini doesn't have it anymore. So for me, I think minus 125 is a great price. And I think you'll probably see a lot of money coming in on it. Might close at 140. I don't really care. Give me Barros Vera on the money line. But make sure your book, whichever one you bet on, does also count bets uh, if retirements occur, if the first set ends up uh, finishing. Some books will just waive it if the match is not fully completed. Other books have a one-set minimum requirement where anything past that, a player quits and you win anyway. So make sure you read the fine print of the house rules there for the books. But the one that I see in most books that I use involves, especially for tennis, uh, the automatic win, uh, the win grade if a player ends up retiring after the first set because you do want to avoid getting screwed if you're fading an older players at injury issues in the past. But the point is, give me the younger guy at minus 125 uh, for that lock. And for the dog, I am going to go to the Lahovich and Schwartzman match. And I was going to take Lahovich money line, but then I thought about it and realized based on how bad Schwartzman's been, I think we just got to go for it here. We're going to go with Lahovich to win in straight sets at plus 145. I really just can't turn it down. Schwartzman, we just saw him in his home country in Buenos Aires tournament. He had done very well in in the past, and he got his ass kicked. Uh, Zapata Marias killed him. It was 6-1, 5-2, and then Schwartzman ended up breaking, so it could have been that bad, 6-1, 6-2. Schwartzman broke and then got broken to lose the match, so it turned into 6-1, 6-3, but he's just bad. He's lost 10 of his last 11 I think he's lost in straight sets in seven of his last eight matches. So I want nothing to do with Schwartzman. And Lahovich, kind of similar to what I said about Zapata Marais before. He looked good in Buenos Aires, and then he ran into Alcaraz. Not his fault. Alcaraz was absolutely nuts in that event. And Lahovich hung around for basically a set, and then uh, Alcaraz took over. But the point is, Lahovich did look good in that event leading up to the Alcaraz match. Uh, he ended up going through qualifying, didn't drop a set uh, leading up to that situation. And then Alcaraz, of course, killed him. But actually, no, he did drop a set. So he ended up beating uh, Olivo, ended up beating another qualifier, beat Baez. I mentioned how Baez was fatigued. 
uh, from winning a tournament the weekend prior in Cordoba. But still, Lahovich did beat a very good clay court player coming back from a set down and winning that one in three. Then he beat Ugo, uh, 6-3, 6-1, and then lost to Alcaraz. So he has been playing pretty well on clay, and Schwartzman has just been bad. I think he's going to have to go to some challengers or take some time off. But plus 145? For a straight set win against a guy that's lost 10 of 11 matches, I think it's a bargain, which is why I'm going to pivot to that as my dog. So once again, just to recap everything, my lock is going to be on uh, Barrios Vera, money line at minus 125 against Fognini, and my dog will be Lahovich to win in straight sets against Schwartzman at plus 145. Other than that, though, that's going to wrap it up for this episode. We're back once again later in the week, probably for the semis uh, of those three events, and then do the same exact format. I think we're going to stick with this format. Uh, Let me know uh, in either a review or in the comment section or just anywhere. You can even hit me up on Twitter at Show Radio. Let me know if you like the actual format uh, of having a pre-tournament or early a tournament episode for the futures, then kind of skipping the rest of the week until the semi matchups and then the final match. So we're going to stick with this three episodes a week format, but let me know if you like it or if you want more episodes, keep me posted, but I feel like this is a pretty good way of spacing it out because we're going to cover the important matches that actually determine trophies. And we're going to cover the futures, of course, early on. So those are the main two checkpoints that I try to look for in terms of coverage with tournaments. And I feel like we've done that, but I know a lot of you want uh, more betting picks on matches taking place at seven in the morning because you want to bet on something, especially if you wake up early for work. So either way, find me on Twitter, Rice Show Radio. Uh, Leave a review if you enjoy the show, or if you don't, uh, if you just want to leave feedback, let me know. Uh, But until next time, good luck to all of you and all of your bets. Bye, everyone.